we, we are back in the book of Acts. It's been a little while, hasn't it? We had Palm Sunday and then Easter, and uh, I was all set to come back last week, and, and Hunter pitched hit for me. And uh, so thank you for, for having, a, having a, great, uh, a great youth pastor that can come step up and preach anytime. And so I really appreciate that. But we're in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 9. And uh, we're going to do verses 1 through 31. And just to kind of let you know where we're at, we left chapter 8 with the gospel moving from Jerusalem and headed out. Philip went up to Samaria and he preached to the folks in Samaria and people got saved. Isn't that awesome? And the the apostles went up and confirmed that, wow, the, the Holy Spirit was endowed on these people. And so the gospel is moving out. And in this case, it's moving north. And then we were introduced in chapter 7 to to a young man by the name of Saul. And in chapter 7, he's the guy that's standing there. He's a young Pharisee who has trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And it says that, that he was consenting to the death of Saul or to the death of Stephen. And they laid their cloaks at his feet. And then in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, it tells us that Saul decided to take the impetus of Stephen's murder and he's going to go after the church, the way. By this time, we probably have somewhere around 25,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. It's growing. And Paul, or uh, Saul, he's going to get his name changed, but not yet. Saul says, hey, and he follows up by going through the city, looking, kicking in doors, hauling people off to jail, and because of blasphemy. And he he's, he's really has a bloodthirstiness about him. He's just, he is so vehemently opposed to the church because he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so it gets so, so bad that after he gets done trampling through the church of Jerusalem and driving people out, that he says, give me letters. I've heard the gospel is going north. I want to get ahead of it. I want to go to Damascus and I want to stop it before it can go any farther. Now, Damascus is about 150 miles north of Jerusalem, about a, about a week's walk, five days' walk to get up there. And so we see, we see him headed there, and Paul describes himself. Paul actually tells the story we're going to hear today two other times in the book of Acts. Uh, and in chapter 22 of Acts, now, this is going to be hard because i got to look this way to make sure I'm, my, I'm changing. It helps if I turn it on, doesn't it? All right, there we go. All right, in Acts chapter 22, this is what Paul says about himself. He says, I persecuted the way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, 
as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I received letters to the brethren and started off to Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. If you were somebody that had to say, oh, you know, I'm going to look out on this crowd and say, I think that guy over there is going to get saved. Or that person over there is going to say, would you pick Saul as being somebody who's going to be converted to trust Jesus Christ as his, would you pick him? Oh, no way. I mean, this is a guy that hates anything about the church. But God picked him. God says, you know what, Paul, Saul? Saul, I, I've, been, I've been chasing you, and you've been running. Isn't that what people do? I mean, the, the people who will, most, will have angst against the gospel are typically the people that are running so hard from God. And God says, time to stop. Time to stop running. Because the reality is, the reason that they're feeling that way is God is working on them. The Holy Spirit, it says that the, one, the, only, Holy, the only job the Holy Spirit has in unbelievers is to convict them of sin. And here's Saul. He's on his way. He's got a five-day journey through the desert up to Damascus. He's carrying these letters. But, you know, when you're thinking about, oh, I'm going to persecute the church. I'm going to go after these people. What is running through his mind? He's thinking, you know, that Stephen. I, I, I can't get that out of my mind that as I stood there, and they stoned Stephen. The last words out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them. How can anybody be so foolish? That's what's running through his mind. He's looking back at the faces of all of these believers that he's arrested, kicked in their homes, at their doors, and hauled them out of their homes and threw them in prison, and some of them even to death. And what did they do? What did the apostles teach them? In the midnight hour, in the prison, bottom of the prison, when you've been beaten, what do you do? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Rings through the prison. Paul says, who does that? As he's traveling north, and for four days he travels and he gets almost, almost to Damascus when we come to chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters for him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any 
belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he was traveling, and it happened that as he approached Damascus, and suddenly light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. As we see Saul on his way, ready to do more, ready to throw more people in prison, God meets him. God meets him in a life-changing way. You ever met anybody that was so lost? They were in every kind of sin. And one day God says, it's your time. I'm coming for you. That was Saul. See, Saul's conversion was sudden. And sometimes that's the way God works. I've, I've told you, my, one of my best friends, Tom, Tom and I have been friends for over all, probably almost 40 years now. And, and I love to listen to his testimony as he sits down because he, he, we work with kids on the river and, and we'll, be at, we'll be at lunch and, and he'll share his testimony. And Tom's testimony is that he was in a parking garage in Pennsylvania with a needle of heroin stuck in his veins. And he said, God, you either save me or kill me. And God says, all right. Tom, hold on. And he pulled that needle out of his vein. He went home and he flushed his drugs down the toilet. Never had one moment of withdrawals. He said, all right, I'm going to save you. And God just changed his life. And Tom has, has spoken the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands of young people. And, and the funny thing is Tom and I are six months apart. Well, I have a much different story. So when I have to follow Tom, I tell people, I grew up in the drug culture. Mom and Daddy drugged me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and two weeks in July. So I could get revived. You see, sometimes God works in the sudden, and he saves people out of a life of sin. And I praise God that God worked on me over time and saved me from a life of sin. 
And, and I praise God for that. And every one of our testimonies are different, but God uses them in different ways. God is going to use Saul to preach to the Jews and eventually to the Gentiles. And, and Saul is going to share his testimony many, many times about how he was so dead set against the Messiah until the Messiah came face to face with him on the road to Damascus. Saul asked two questions. The first question he asked is, who are you? And that's the first question that we all have to ask of God. Who are you? And Jesus talked a lot about that, didn't he? Jesus talked all through the Bible about who he was. He, he says, I am, right? The, remember when we went through the Gospel of John? I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the... And every time he said, I am, what is he saying? I am God. And he showed himself to be the I am, the God. He says, who are you? And what is Jesus' response to him? Jesus looks at him and he tells him, he says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. See, Paul thought he was persecuting what? The church, the people. And Jesus said, all these people, they're part of me. I am in Christ, and as, as I am in Christ, so Christ is in me. He said, you're persecuting me. You thought, you thought you were just running around here throwing people in jail. You're persecuting me. That church is my bride. Now, you can, you can say a lot of things about me. You know, the old sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never, that's a lie from, the, from Satan. <laughs> words can be the most hurtful things you can ever say. You know? You can say whatever you want about me. But you talk about my wife, and those are fighting words. I will defend her to the death. That's my bride. That's the one that I stood in an altar and I said, till death do his part. In, in, in sickness, I, she's my bride. And Jesus on the road to Damascus said, Paul, you messed with the wrong person. The church is my bride and you messed with her. And now you've got to answer to me. He said, who are you? And Jesus answers him. And it's interesting because Paul tells this story, uh, tells his testimony again in, verse, in chapters 22 of Acts and in chapters 26 of Acts. And in chapter 22, verse 10, it tells us that he asks a second question after he says, who are you? He says, and he said to him, 
What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that has been appointed for you. What shall I do? You see, once we know who he is, we need to know what he wants us to do. What do I do? Well, Jesus is, is going to send a guy to tell him what to do because God always used people. You know, God could have just repent and be baptized. You know, right? But he says, no, I'm going to send somebody to tell you what to do. And we'll talk about Ananias. And, but but we got we to gotta ask the right question. And a lot of you have heard, heard my testimony. When I was 17 years old, I got the, the typical Christmas story, right, with the BB gun. What's going to happen? You're going to shoot your eye out. That was me. BB ricocheted off the rock, hit me in my left eye. Just to finish my senior year in football, I was all ready to go play in a small college somewhere here in Oregon. And, and uh, I came out of surgery on a Sunday night with both my eyes bandaged shut for five days. And, and, you know, you can't watch television. You can't read a book. What do you do? For five days, you sit there inside of this mind. And I had a wonderful pastor, Matt Flood, came to visit me every day in Albany Hospital. He, he would come, I'd hear him coming. Big old, I think size 14, wingtip leather shoes. Katump, katump, katump. Pastor Matt's coming. And, and I remember that very distinctly he said, Ben, don't ask why this happened. Ask, what do you want me to do, God? And in those five days as I sat there, with not being able to see in my mind, thinking, okay, God, you have my full attention. And God says, I called you to preach. I didn't call you to play football. And God said, okay, I'm going to put you on a different path. Sometimes we have to ask the what. What shall you have me do? And God's going to give him an answer. And it's not going to be a comfortable answer. In chapter 9, verses uh, 10 through 19... We read this. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Ananias, And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is what? Praying. Oh. What do you want me to do, Lord? And then he prays about it. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he may he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell upon his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. And we're going to stop there. How would you like to have been Ananias? Hey, guess who you get to go witness to? See the big old biker dude with all the tattoos over there? That's yours. Do we ever get that way? Oh, Lord, don't, don't ask me to witness to my mother-in-law. Right? There are times that God says, I'm going to give you the hardest one to go after. Because I've already done all the work. All Ananias could see was what had happened before, who this guy was, his reputation. The meanest man in town. He said, God, don't send me. Send him. Isn't that the way we are? I don't want to be the one to have to share the gospel with somebody who is ugly, mean. Ted Bundy, most of you remember that name, sat in prison. And before his execution, he said, I need to tell my story. And one man out of all of the preachers that he called would dare go and hear his story. And James Dobson sat down and for two days before his execution, he said, listen, nobody's going to believe me if it comes out of my mouth. He recorded it. Ted Bundy came to know Jesus Christ in prison. He shared his story about how God changed him in prison. And then he went on to say, let me tell you how it all started. It all started with pornography. I didn't end up being a serial killer just off the bat. It all started way back here. And he shared his story with James Dobson for two days. And James Dobson was ostracized by the Christian community. How could you dare go talk to a man who killed and raped so many women? And he says, all I can say is his testimony rang true. You know, sometimes we, we don't want to go to the hardest one. But, but let me... Let me do this. Will you dare to be Ananias? Ananias, will you dare to go to somebody that you don't think can ever get saved? They need to hear the gospel more than anybody. Would you dare to be Ananias? 
And he did. He went. Can you imagine what a thrill it was years later when Ananias got to meet the Apostle Paul and said, hey, Remember the day I came to the house and I prayed over you and you received the Holy Spirit and then I got a chance to go out and baptize you? How awesome is that? Dare to be an Ananias. Dare to go to people who you don't think stand a chance of coming to Christ and share the gospel with them. That's what God calls us to do, stepping out of our comfort zone. Well, let's see what happens... After that, picking up in verse 19, the last half, now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Paul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Oh, the zeal of young Christians. They get saved, and God says, I remember that time. I was 15 years old when I went to hear Bill Glass, and boy, when I, that was August. And I was already in football practice and I had been bringing all my football buddies to hear, to hear Bill Glass. And some of them got saved at the same time I did. And, and when school started, we started a thing called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And it exploded in our high school. We started having Bible studies at lunchtime with one of our Christian teachers. God was working. We were... We were, people were getting saved and baptized, and we were from all kinds of different churches, but God was working. I remember that zeal that came. And, and Paul, Saul was the same way. He's like going, I've seen the resurrected Jesus. I've got to do something with this. But you know what? We cannot always expect people to immediately to forget our past. What are they going to ask? Have you really changed? Or is this an act? Because that happens quite often. People will they'll, they'll say, oh, wow, look at me. I, I, I'm a Christian now. Okay, you're going to have to show me. You can't just talk the talk. You're going to have to walk the walk. And, that's, and it took a while. It took a while for Paul. Because between verses 22 and 23 is three years. Isn't that interesting? How we go from one verse to the next and we think, oh, 
It's just the next day. Three years. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul tells what happens during these three years. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 18. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased, he revealed his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Three years Paul goes to where? He goes to the, the Bible college on the backside of the desert. He say, and, and God says, I want, you to, I want you to come away from all of this. Because, brother, you know the Old Testament. But I'm going to reveal to you where I am in all of this Old Testament. And he took him to the backside of the desert and he got, he got schooled by Jesus. And what amazing time that must have been just on the backside of the desert and God just speaking to him and saying, hey, doesn't God call us sometimes to the backside of the desert to begin to work in us? He did that with Moses. Moses was on the backside of the desert for 40 years. God sometimes takes us away and, and, and he schools. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe that every, every person, that, that every young person should go to Bible college for at least one year. I firmly believe that. You, it, it's the one place that you are going to get a, a solid foundation. David was just sharing with me. Now, this has nothing to do with his age. He went to school when he was 12. David just had his 50th uh, college reunion up at Corbin. And I dare say that if I were to say to Dave, was that a good education to bring to you? Because David worked his, your, almost your entire life in the electrical industry, right? You know? But, but David is probably one of the most uh, founded teachers I've ever had an opportunity to be acquainted with. And God took his, didn't, didn't make him a preacher, didn't make him a missionary, he made him a Christian businessman, but he put him, brought him into the church to teach. And I believe that we can do that. But there, there is nothing, nothing 
that will be greater than spending time with Jesus. So you can go and get a good college education. You can learn the Bible from great professors. I had great professors in college. But when, you, when you're in that time of allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to, to put himself in you, is when you get the greatest education. And that's what he did with Saul. He sends him to the backside of the desert. He gets his education. He comes back to Damascus. And and here it is. It's been three years. They still hold it against him. He comes back. They want to, and who wants to kill him? The Jews do. Because now he's preaching exactly what he hated before. He's preaching and they couldn't forget. And so they make this, you know, this is not the first time or not the last time Paul will have an assassination attempt on his life. And so they, they sneak him out, they put him, so this is kind of a little interesting little side piece. It says they let him out over a basket, over the wall. You know what, you know what that they let out over the basket, over the wall, normally? Garbage. That's the way they got rid of their garbage. They would, put, they, had, they would have a big basket, they'd throw all their garbage in it, and they'd let it down over the wall, and then they'd, they'd dump it out at the base of the wall. So he got to go out in the garbage can. And as he, as he, he goes off, now he's going to go, okay, it's been three years, God has worked in my life, and he's taught me all of this stuff, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back and I need to, first of all, apologize for what I did. I need to go back and see the disciples in Jerusalem. And so that's what we see next in chapter 9, beginning at verse 26. And he was with them He's he's in Jerusalem now. He is with them, moving about freely. Oh, excuse me. i got to get to the right place here. Verse 26. And when he came to Jerusalem, verse 26, he was trying trying to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. And Barnabas, we've already met Barnabas once, But Barnabas took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked with him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord." And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase." Oh boy, 
poor Paul, poor Saul. Here he, I'm reformed. Okay. You can be reformed at arm's length. You ever hold people at arm's length? Yeah, I'm not too sure about you. You're a Christian brother. Except for a guy by the name of Barnabas. Would you dare to be a Barnabas? What did Barnabas do? Now, Barnabas was not on the road with him on the way to Damascus. How did he find out about that? He listened. He sat down with Paul. Paul's running around going, Hey, can I preach at your church? Can I come to your home Bible study and tell my story? Well, why don't you just, uh, just hang out over here We're not ready for you yet. And Barnabas says, come here, brother. (laughs) He says, tell me your story. Tell me about it. And and Barnabas sits down with Saul, and Saul shares his heart with him. He tells him the story on the road to Damascus. He tells him about the backside of the desert. He says, you know, God, I just have, I've got to get this message out. God changed me. God turned my life upside down. And I've got to tell somebody. And so what did Barnabas do? He says, I'll vouch for him. You call me the son of encouragement. This is my guy. There are times when we need to just come along somebody and put our arm around and say, this is my guy. This is my gal. You accept me, you're going to accept them. Barnabas is going to walk with with Saul for 14 years. He's going to be the encouragement to Saul for 14. This is not a this is not a one-time thing. Saul Barnabas says, he's with me. And that gets him access. When I, was, uh, when I was at the FBI National Academy at Quantico in, in Washington, D.C., uh, just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, we made friends with a Secret Service agent who happened to be uh, on the, he, he did all of the logistics for, for the Secret Service travel. And he says, hey, guys, would you guys like to have the tour of the White House? And anybody can go, you, anybody can go get a tour of the White House. You can sign up, you can get tickets, and they take you. And so he says, don't go to the gate where everybody else is. I want you to go around the back of the White House, and there's a gate there. And you just, when you get there, you say, you give them my card. And so we get there. Now, normally you have to go through a big screening thing. They check you for weapons. They do all of this kind of stuff. He come, we call him up, says, we're here at the gate. Or they called him, said, you got some guys here at the gate? And he comes out, and he goes, they're with me. And in we go. The back door of the White House. I mean, we we see these tours that are going, and they're on the other side of the roped-off areas, and he would get to a place, and there would be a Secret Service officer with him, and he'd say, they're with me. And we got into the back door. 
We got into parts of the White House. We actually got in to see the beast. The, there's three of them. The, the big uh, Cadillac that the, that the president rides in. It really does. It has a red phone in the back. It does. It does. And it's, there's, there, and there's direct lines to the Kremlin and, and to, to, to Britain. It, it was crazy. But all we had to say is, he'd say, they're with me. That's what Barnabas did. Barnabas was, took him under his wing and he brings him about round. And then, of course, the Jews don't like him again. These, these just happen to be the Greek Jews. And they try, they're like, we're, we're going to kill this guy. What, what is wrong with Paul that people want to keep killing him? Because he's telling the truth. He says, you need to change. You need to recognize the Messiah. So they pack him off and they send him to Caesarea. And from Caesarea, they send him up to his hometown of Tarsus. And he remains there for seven years. He's in Tarsus for seven years. But he wasn't forgotten by Barnabas. Look at chapter 11. Chapter 11, Barnabas is sent up to to Antioch uh, to see what's going on there. And then from Antioch, he stays there. And in verse... Uh, Well, we'll go to verse 23. And when they arrived and witnessed the grace of God, they rejoiced and began encouraging them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man. This is talking about Barnabas. He was a good man and full of the Holy, Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to him. And then in verse 25 it says, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and they taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. He didn't forget him all those years. And then, of course, we know that he's going to be his first missions partner. Do we dare to be a Barnabas? Do we dare... To say, hey, I'm going to take on this person that nobody else really cares for. Nobody else really believes. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to hear their hearts. And then I'm going to get them involved. I mean, I praise the Lord for Barnabases who come alongside people. We need more Barnabases. When somebody comes to Christ, the Barnabas is the one that says, hey, I know you're a baby Christian. Can I be there for you? Can I help you learn the Bible? Can I teach you? You know, God God calls us to what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Right? That's what we're called to do. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. Well, we're going to leave our story there. And we're going to come to communion. And as we come to communion, 
I want you to think, as we come to communion, a lot of times we, we look introspectively and, and we think of, of what Jesus did for us. But I want you to think about when Jesus instituted the Last Supper, who was sitting at the table? The twelve, right? Who was one of the twelve? Judas Iscariot. The man who would betray him. Jesus took the bread. I believe he looked over at Judas. And he says, this is my body. Which is broken for you. Take and eat. He knew. Because just a short time later, he would hand him the piece of bread and he would say, you go do what you have to do. But before he said that, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Sometimes we don't believe God can save somebody. They're the worst of the worst. They're your abuser. They're the person who hurts you. But God, in his mercy, said, this is my body, which is broken for them also. And then he took the cup And he said, this is my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink it. And I am so glad that he did that for my sin. But he did it for Judas's sin also. You're going to betray me. You're the reason that the Romans are going to come and get me and take me to the cross. He didn't just provide for the sin, my sin, but he provided for the sin of the one who hurt me, the one who abused me, the one who brought so much pain into my life. So this is the blood for them. Maybe this Sunday, this is the Sunday that you finally let it go. You say, I forgive them because you forgave them. You provided a way. And then you let God do the work. You let God change them on a road to Damascus because he will.